Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. He answers with indignation. Why? Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, he bypassed Jesus, and he said to the crowd, There are six days which with men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. We're doing church here. We don't have time for this ministry stuff. We don't have time to minister to the needs of the people because we're too busy doing church stuff. And beloved, that is a great danger of playing church when playing church becomes more important than being the church and ministering as a part of the church. Jesus was a wonderful rule breaker, but he never broke a single command of God. When the religious leaders made a statement about healing on the Sabbath, they became guilty of playing church. In today's program with Pastor David, we'll hear what really matters to the heart of God in ministry. If we become so busy doing church that we no longer minister to the needs of people, we are putting ourselves in danger of falling under the same category. God desires compassionate ministry from the body of Christ. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, Playing Church. Well, it was Saturday afternoon and uh, Jan had been putting off this uh, cleaning project for quite a while, but she was pretty well involved there in her kitchen, working fairly hard. And her son came downstairs and uh, asked her uh, if he could have some juice and some cookies. Well, uh, she said, yes, sure, go ahead and get them. You know where they're at. And then he asked as she continued to work, can I take them into my room, mom? And she said, sure, sure, just, uh, just don't make a mess. So he headed on up the stairs with them, and after a while, Jan noticed that her two children, her five and her three-year-old, five and four-year-old, were actually uh, a little too quiet, and so she decided, you parents know what that's all about, uh, so she decided she would have to leave her cleaning project for a little bit and go upstairs, find out what's going on, and so as she went on upstairs, she looked into their bedroom, and there in her bedroom, she found Arnie, her five-year-old son, had a children's Bible in his hand, and standing before him were a crowd of stuffed animals and dolls, his little sister Katie, the family dog, and the cat. And in between Arnie and his audience there, there was a little table, and on that were the two juice boxes and the cookies that he had gotten earlier. But they were untouched. And so uh, Jan quietly, she entered the room and says, hey guys, what's going on? And so it was Katie, the little one, that answered and said, we're playing church and Arnie's the preacher, just like daddy. Well, with a pretty satisfied smile on her face, Jan responded, oh, that's sweet. Well, what are you doing with the juice and the crackers? Well, this time Arnie was the one that answered and he kind of looked at his mom a little disgusted and closed his children's Bible, put a hand on his hip and says, mom... That's for Jesus' dinner. 
like we do at church. She thought for a moment, she says, oh, you mean the Lord's Supper? That's what I said, Mom. (laughs) Well, the attitude needed to be disciplined, but that's going to have to hold off later because by this time, Jan's just really uh, doing all she can to keep all the laughing going. And so she, as she left the room, she says, okay, I'll, I'll leave you guys alone. Have a nice service. And so she walked downstairs and back to her house cleaning with that kind of pride that only a mom could really have. Well, that lasted for a full five minutes. Suddenly there was this horrendous noise and she could hear both of the kids screaming. So as she ran up the stairs, she was a little embarrassed by her first thought. Her first thought was they must have had a church split. So, <laughs> But no sooner had she thought that than Alexander, the family cat, came running down the stairs, down between her legs, running. He is absolutely drenched wet, leaving a trail of water leading on up to the stairs. So as she came up, she realized the noise and the trail of water led to the bathroom. There, sitting on the bathroom floor, was both Arnie and Katie, sopping wet, cat scratches all over them. She said, what in the world happened to you guys? Arnie says, we were trying to baptize Alexander, but he didn't want to. Then Katie chimed in, she says, I don't think Alexander is a real Christian. Meanwhile, Thor, the family dog, continued drinking out of the baptistry. So, <laughs> I know that's kind of a long introduction, but playing church as a kid can be absolute fun. It can be dangerous sometimes, depending upon your converts, but it can be fun. But playing church as an adult is absolutely dangerous. It's dangerous on a lot of accounts. We're in Luke chapter 13. I invite you to turn there. The unfortunate truth is that the condition of most of the visible church today is that really and truly most in the visible church are just playing church. Uh, they've never had a saving relationship with Christ. They've never had a true conversion experience. They just come in and they're in church. They do church very, very well. But there's no real change of heart. There's no dynamic born-again experience, just as Jesus shared with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a righteous guy. He did church really well. Okay, synagogue, but you'll get the point. But Jesus told him, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. In Luke 13, beginning in verse 10, we see a synagogue experience, an event in Jesus' life where he's there in the synagogue and what happens in the process of him actually ministering in the name of his Father, in the name of God. In Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 10, we read, Now he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years, And was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. You see, Jesus, this was his this was his modus operandi, this was his his normal, his this was his routine, this was his desire, this was his passion. If he was in a village or a town that had a synagogue and it was a Sabbath day, Jesus was gonna be there. And he got to teach, and at this particular time he was there teaching at that synagogue. And as he's teaching, he happens to notice this woman. Now, depending upon the size of the town and the village, depending upon the size of the synagogue, this woman could have been actually upstairs on a balcony. 
at the least, she was pushed off with the rest of the women off to one side or the other or to the back of the synagogue because the men would gather again closest, the women would be on the outside edge. But as Jesus was teaching, he noticed this woman, he noticed her infirmity. As a matter of fact, when he saw her, I believe that Jesus realized everything there was about that woman. Why? Because that's who Jesus is. He knows everything about us. When we pray, we're not revealing anything new to him. You understand that. He knows all these things. We're just simply agreeing with him the truth of what's there. He knew everything about her. He knew the 18 years of suffering. He knew she was unable to straighten up. He knew that the suffering that she had been carrying with her for these 18 years was much more than physical. There was this also this uh, emotional pull, this, this social embarrassment that something she had to deal with for 18 years. We don't know how old this woman, you know, we suddenly think, well, she, was, she had this infirmity for 18 years. She was been over. She must have been an old woman. Who says that she was an old woman? Maybe she was only in her 20s. Maybe something had happened to her as, as a young child that caused her to be this way. If that's the case, how much did that impact her social life? What man would go and look for her to be his wife and to bear his children with those kind of physical infirmities? It doesn't say anything about a husband or, or family here. So my question to us, if she's suffering that way, how does she make a living? How does she providing for herself? You see, Jesus knew everything about her. And I don't believe for one moment that within that synagogue that she was anybody special at all. As a matter of fact, she was probably more of a distraction, more of a burden, particularly if that synagogue was filled with people just playing church. If they're just playing, or synagogue as the case may be, if they're just playing church, then people with issues, people with burdens, people with infirmities, they become a distraction, they become a burden rather than actually a part of the body and part of the ministry of that synagogue. Verse 12 tells us that when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and, and said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. He laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight. Immediately. Luke loves that word, immediately. Immediately she was made straight and glorified God. You're loosed from your infirmity. How many of us here that are here right now today, perhaps we're not crippled in a physical way, but how many of us would love to hear those words from Jesus ourselves saying, you are loosed from your infirmity? We might look around and say, well, you know, they seem to be okay. They seem to be doing all right. But you know what? We don't see the inside of each other at all, do we? I guarantee you that probably every one of us have some infirmity within us that we would love to hear Jesus' words, you're loosed. Immediately, she was made straight. I think Luke might have made a uh, major understatement here when he wrote, and she glorified God. <laughs> I, I think this woman had a Holy Spirit revival right then when that happened. I believe that after 18 years of being in that way, being bent down and so low, to finally be able to stand and praise God. I think that something happened to that woman. Oh, she glorified God. There is no doubt about it. God moved among her and in, in her life and among those people in a way, in an undeniable way, they had to give God the glory. And wouldn't you think, and again, I'm going to, interusing the words 
church and synagogue here because I want you to take it personal, okay? I want you to take the message personal. Don't throw it back 200 years to a bunch of Jews on the other side of the world in a little synagogue. Let's bring it right here today. Wouldn't you think that her church would have been excited that God healed her infirmity like that? Wouldn't you think that they would stand up and rejoice and give God the glory? Unfortunately, the nation of Israel, they had their own great infirmity. They were people who were bound by the law, or at least their interpretation of it. And and they were bound by the enemy because of their own unfaithfulness and because of their disobedience to what they knew to be God's commands. They were bowed down to the things of this world, and the ruler of this world kept them in chains as a nation. Israel itself needed to be loosed from her infirmity. But here in the synagogue, there's no rejoicing that this woman is being set free. No, that's not what happened, at least not among the leadership of the synagogue. Verse 14 says, the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. Did you catch that? This woman had just been healed by the power of God. And he answers with indignation. He answers with indignation. Why? Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, he bypassed Jesus, and he said to the crowd, there are six days which with men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. We're doing church here. We don't have time for this ministry stuff. We don't have time to minister to the needs of the people because we're too busy doing church stuff. And beloved, that is a great danger of playing church. When playing church becomes more important than being the church and ministering as a part of the church. So quick to quote the law, but they were so far from the very heart of the law. And they were very, he was very far from the heart of the lawgiver himself. And again, sidestepping Jesus, this air of this pompous self righteousness that fills this leader of the synagogue. How easy it is to look at what might seem wrong with somebody else and totally miss the wrongs that we're committing ourselves. He had no idea how far he was from God when he made that statement that he made. But Jesus didn't let the man slow him down. As a matter of fact, Jesus now turns his attention directly to the leader of the synagogue. You might want to sidestep Jesus, but Jesus will never allow you to sidestep him. He goes right to the guy. In verse 15, the Lord then answered him and said, you hypocrite, you hypocrite. By the way, that's not a nice word in case you don't understand what the word hypocrite is. You're a fake. You're false. You're a liar. You're a deceiver. You're playing church. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan is bound, think of it for 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. Jesus gives this man a really common example, probably from the very daily routine of that synagogue leader himself. Probably that very morning before he got dressed in all his regalia to come and take his place of leadership within the synagogue, he probably went out and got the ox or the donkey out of the stall and led it over and gave it water. There's no doubt about that in my mind. Whenever I I read this, I kind of imagine Jesus, even as he's speaking these things, probably looking at the leadership within that synagogue and says, hey, 
Don't you guys lead your ox or your donkey? And he's probably talking to the very ones that led their ox or donkey out that morning. Jesus could do that. He knew the heart and he knew everything about the people that he was speaking to. And as he made that statement, I would imagine, this, how did he know that I did that this morning? Well, it's a common thing. It's a common, understandable thing. They had more compassion on their livestock, though, than they did on this poor woman. In essence, what he's saying, you care for the animal, but this woman is a daughter of Abraham. I honestly believe that in their own self-focus, in their own coldness of heart, they had completely forgotten about this woman standing before God. They completely forgot her humanity as well as her place within the household of Israel. She might not have had much standing with this little congregation, but she definitely had a standing before God. This woman was a daughter of Abraham. And when they mention that daughter of Abraham, understand that speaks much more than just being born an Israelite. I believe that this woman truly had a faith in God, truly had a faith and a desire of faith similar to Abraham's. She's a daughter of Abraham. Jesus was really clear about the source of this woman's infirmity, though. He said that Satan has bound her, held her captive for a total of 18 years, unable to break free, and yet with his very word, that very word that morning, Jesus brought her healing and her deliverance all at the same time. What was the reason for her infirmity? We don't know. We have absolutely no idea. But we do know this. Jesus set her free. With his very word, he set her free. Could she have been that way because of some foolishness or sinful act in her past? We don't know. But we do know that when Jesus saw her, he had compassion on her and he delivered her. So how can those within the synagogue be a true part of the kingdom of God and not have the heart of God toward this woman? How can the church really and truly be the church without having the heart of the one who created the church. The synagogue leader was supposed to be the representative of God to this community, but the God he represented wasn't the one who had come into the synagogue that day. It's very apparent that the synagogue leader knew nothing about God, the God he was supposed to exemplify. He was too busy being religious on the outside to ever let the power of Almighty God change him on the inside. He was churched up, as we've said over the last few weeks, but he had no saving relationship with God. And again, as Jesus points out, their absolute uncaring, their ungodly attitude toward this woman, it pretty much shut up the mouths of all those that were coming against him. What does verse 17 says? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And then all the multitude was literally released to rejoice for all the glorious things that were done by him. You see, if the leadership is playing church, guess what? The flock kind of follows. There's not a realness if there's not a trueness within the leadership who are supposed to be an example. Not a perfect example, trust me on that one, but an example. Then the flock's not going to. And it appears the overburden uh, that this leader of the synagogue had, even the snideness of his remark to the people after he saw this woman delivered, hey, you know what, there's six days, you want to be healed, come during those six days, but don't come in here on the Sabbath. Jesus put him in his place, and the congregation rejoiced. 
Then Jesus goes on to give two quick parables, examples about the kingdom of God. Verse 18, Jesus said to them, What is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? Well, it's like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden, and it grew and became a large tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. In verse 20, he goes on, and again he said, To what shall I liken the kingdom of God? Well, it's like leaven or, or yeast, which a woman took, and she hid in three measures of meal until it was all leavened. Well, within these two parables, he gives two word pictures as a description of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. In these word pictures, he uses these two illustrations. One, the use of a mustard seed, and the other, the use of leaven or, or yeast. And some see both of them as a, as a, as a positive picture. Positive picture, first of all, of the visible outward growth of the kingdom, as in that mustard seed, but then also as the invisible inward influence of the kingdom, being the leaven or the yeast. Many take these parables to mean that the kingdom of God is it's growing in such an astounding way that it's even supernatural, even miraculous in its growth. They see that mustard seed and the birds nesting there within the tree as a positive sign of the impact of the kingdom of God in the world today. The church is growing, even exploding in some areas. Many are finding their home and their place of rest in its various branches. And you could think of the branches as Baptists or Assemblies or Nazarene or Presbyterian or a host of non-denominational or interdenominational churches that these branches, several branches out. They look at the example of the leaven or the yeast being that invisible work of the gospel being spread throughout the world and the impact that it has in permeating through every tribe, tongue, and nation. God's kingdom being a positive influence on all of mankind all around the world. But there's a few problems with those interpretations. Number one, I think they're both wrong. Let me share with you why. First of all, always remember, the best tool to have for the interpretation of the Bible is what, gang? The Bible itself. Check the Bible with the Bible. That's the best way to go. The Bible will never contradict itself. It's very, very unlikely that there's going to be any contradiction that's even going to be shown. But if there is a contradiction that appears and seems to be, you better back up and look at the context of it because very possibly you're misinterpreting. That's why you've got the contradiction. Secondly, in these statements, actually in this whole section of Scripture that we've been studying for a while, chapter 12 and now on into 13, Jesus is doing this spiritual battle with those who say that they're part of God's kingdom, and yet the fruit of their lives demonstrates something totally different. Remember, we've talked about this week after week, if you've been with us, this whole idea of being churched up, but not really having a relationship with Christ. In this whole section, as well as many others within the Gospels, Jesus speaks of the difficulties and then the narrowness of being a true part of God's kingdom. We hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, 
we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We meet Saturday evenings and twice on Sunday morning, as well as throughout the week. For more information about when we meet for worship, including driving directions, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support The Open Word. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced, and God has given us a vision to see The Open Word expand into other parts of the world. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and may God richly bless you.